This is Perspective. It's the show where an examination of our differences often ends up showing us actually how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley, and you're going to think, really, this is what you thought of for our program today? And I think by the time we're done, you're going to be like, oh, yeah. This weekend is a long holiday weekend. It is the Labor Day weekend. And you already know from last week's program that Dragon Con has more than 80,000 people in town. They had an amazing parade yesterday morning through the streets of Atlanta. Well, also going on in town this weekend is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution Decatur Book Festival. Festival all over Decatur, all sorts of amazing authors. I know Kenny Leon, who is ours with the True Colors Theater Company, is keynoting, but someone else who is presenting this weekend at the Decatur Book Festival is Eve Hoffman, and she is quite the individual. She is a storyteller, she is a poet. She is a sixth-generation Georgian. She has this incredible story. If only I'd been recording before we started the program, but I think Eve is going to share some of those stories with us today. Her book is Memory and Complicity, and it's a book of poetry. And Eve Hoffman, I am happy to have you here. Book reads, In Memory and Complicity, We Feel Georgia Red Clay Under Hoffman's bare feet on the dairy farm where she grew up. We walk with her through an exhibit of 150 postcards of lynchings, and that's something that we talked about a little little while ago. Uh, We see a girl in a yellow dress at the synagogue her great-grandparents founded. That synagogue, well, I'm going to let her tell these stories. Eve Hoffman, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you so much for the community-based work that you do. Thank you for being here. So you are a storyteller, and yet you tell your stories long form. Narrative, we call it. Narrative via poems as opposed to a short story or a novel. Have you always been a writer? I didn't start writing poetry until about 15 years ago. I have what I used to describe as a checkered career until someone said, that probably sounds like you've been in prison, so you might want to find some other language. But about 15 years ago, I started writing poetry, and it really became um, a passion. Uh, I ended up going places in my own life as well as in the lives of others. And finally, my mentor said, Eve, you've got enough stories of your own. Just park the ones about other people for the moment. And Memory and Complicity uh, is my fourth book. It came out of work that... um, begins with me growing up on a dairy farm. It goes through a period of um, that the 70s in, in birthing babies of my husband dying uh, 20, 23, 24 years ago of sort of rebirth of my own life and into experiences like um, walking into an exhibit of 130 postcards of people who had been lynched. Tell us how all that came to be, because I sort of mentioned it in the open, and I yeah. know that you write about that in Memory and Complicity. Yeah. What what happened there? Um, there was an exhibit at Ebenezer Church, and a friend and I um, wanted to go see it, and we walked in, and to this day, it's still one of the extraordinary experiences. Um, what I write about is how much I didn't know. I grew up as a white 
girl on a dairy farm. Um, as someone said, I had a sort of bifurcated language of being in the country, but also going to the Metropolitan Opera when it came through Atlanta. Um, I So I have this bifurcated experience. But I thought um, that lynchings were would happen because a group of Rednecks would take a black man into the woods, deep into the woods, string him up, and leave him there, and out of the sight and sound of anyone. And that was that. I had no idea that these were big community events. Ten and 15,000 people would show up. I had no idea that women were lynched. I had no idea that photographs were taken of the people lynched and then created and postcards which people would send around the country. I had no idea that men that were strung up were in front of the courthouse, were on Main Street, were then dragged through the street, that fires were set under them and they were burned as they were there. Um, there's even a case when tickets were sold and for a ticket to go into this theater, you also got a shot at the person that was being lynched. Um, so me, for me, I, as a, quote, white woman of privilege, cannot walk in the shoes of someone who is African-American. But for me, the experience of this was a reminder, no, it was a sledgehammer of how much I didn't know and how much I needed to be quiet about and think about in terms of what I do with my own life. Um, it also, as I'm writing this book, led me to realize that I grew up in a Jewish household. We ate pork, farm-grown pork, on Friday nights. We were not particularly active in a synagogue, but my family never talked about the Holocaust. My family was there had no family in Europe. I knew nothing about the Holocaust. And there's another poem in here um, that is actually Memory and Complicity, where the title comes from. I was in um, Paris for a workshop. I had children living in France, I mean, in, in London. So that was a good excuse. And I'm walking to the Shoah Memorial. I'd never been to a Holocaust Museum. I thought, Shoah didn't sound quite as scary as Holocaust. And on the way, I passed a school with a sign on the school. And my French from college was good enough that I was able to translate it. And it said, dedicated to the children of this school, and it had a number of them, between 1942 and 44, I think, and 45, who were murdered by the Nazis with the complicity of the French Vichy government, we will never forget them. And as I sit here, I have chills because it is the first time in my life I realized that my mother was pregnant with me while those children were being murdered. So I never heard about the Holocaust. I never put it in any historical perspective. My, on my mother's side, my family came before the American Revolution. On my father's side, he came in 1899. So part of what happened in, in doing this work was how much I didn't know or wasn't exposed to or why I didn't know about it and why that 
the 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 value of telling stories is so important. Uh, Jamil Zadelin, who was president of the Georgia Humanities Council, actually convinced me that my stories mattered because, like almost everybody I talked to, I said, my story doesn't matter. Stories do matter. And this book, which was just published in May, The Stories That Have Come Back to Me, is another book. (laughs) I mean, not that I don't already have another book or two to go, um, but the stories do matter, and they matter in um, in a way that art can engage individuals and communities on difficult subjects. And I say that with a bias serving on the board of the Center for Ethics at Emory, and I will be introduced at the book festival and participate in conversation with a man named Carlton Mackey, who is head of the arts and ethics program at this at Emory at the, at the Ethics Center, who is a gifted artist himself and a gifted um, facilitator. And we will actually, I'll read probably for 20, 25 minutes, and then we will talk about the issues of memory and complicity and what members of the audience remember. Uh, I've done a reading in Atlanta where when I asked a question about being aware of skin color, most of the stories came out about the family maid who raised me, who told me, you know, took care of me. Finally, I had to say, no, 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 let's get to some other subjects. I did a reading at Chautauqua in New York, and there were people who said, well, I grew up in an integrated school. The prejudice I knew was anti-Catholic prejudice. So we all have these bits and pieces, but the arts are a way, whatever the art form, to engage in a as non-judgmental and non-threatening way. And uh, um, Robert Franklin, who is a past president of Morehouse, wrote a, a blurb about the book that it's my goal in terms of doing the readings. And he says, I hope you will peer into this unsettling mirror invited by her lyrical gifts and begin the process of reflection, dialogue, and action to repair a broken world. What else can I tell you right now? How are you different, Eve, now that you've had those two experiences that you described? Oh, interesting. I am um, probably... If I combine that with the fact that I'm of an age with gray hair, um, I can raise the question of why my family never talked about the Holocaust. And I have talked to others, and there's a sense that that generation did not want to burden us, did not want to scare us. In terms of my experience because I grew up on a working dairy farm, there were African-Americans who were part of my life. But one of my stories, which is actually not in the book, is that my parents took us to the Spelman Morehouse Christmas concert, which everybody needs to get a ticket to. Do not miss it. And I discovered how many people have never been to just this amazing evening. And the, Smith, the Spelman women to this day march in with their black dresses, similar black dresses, black, uh, white pearls, white earrings, holding their, their uh, songbook in front of them. And I was probably 10 sitting on the aisle, and these, these young women were walking in. And suddenly I realized there were women whose skin was lighter than mine. And I, just, I can still have that feeling of, 
I didn't quite understand. Probably the word that we used at that point was colored. It's like my skin, I'm just you know, an ordinary olive skinned sort of woman. Um, all those things sort of come together uh, in a way that makes me joyful that my children and my grandchildren don't notice those things. Um, that, that's a gift, and that comes from a lot of, of different ways. Um, I met a candidate last night for the Gwinnett County Chamber of um, Gwinnett County Commission named Ben Koo, KU. He said his grandfather was the head engineer doing MARTA. But there was an article in AJC, I think, about him, which said if he is elected, he would be the first colored on the Gwinnett County Commission. And he was trying to sort through, okay, I'm one, three quarters Chinese, but, you know, how did that get written that way? So one of the interesting things, I'm really not answering your question, I guess, um, is it's a process and it continues to be. One of the interesting parts of that process was the use of language. So in my family, the N-word was forbidden. And the other thing that was equally forbidden was making fun of someone who was disabled. And I mean, ivory soap was in the mouth if you even thought that way. Um, so I grew up on this farm. The word that I knew that carried some derogatory was boy. But I never heard the N-word used. Um, I, um, I went to Smith College and the dean of admissions called me in and said, you know, there are only two black girls or whatever, whatever the word she was using in your class. How can we get some more? And I said, well, I was in the last segregated class in, in Grady High School here in Atlanta. I said, I don't know. Um, so I suppose at that point I became aware of those things in a, in a different kind of way. Um, I do believe that if we are alive, we are continuing to learn. If we have built the walls and we can't, or it's fearful. Um, someone said to me, oh, that hotel that you may end up being in in Nashville for the Southern Festival of Books, that might be in the black community. And I went, yeah, and? Now, you know, this is the girl at 18 who went to Africa, which... Gene uh, Patterson of the AJC wrote an, an editorial about my trip. And now white girls didn't do that. <laughs> Southern white girls definitely did not do that. So I, you know, that sort of consciousness of, but then I came down to writing and it's like, well, what word do I use to describe something that was happening on the farm? It was fire. So when we took Hershey bars to the man trying to keep the fire out, and this is in the book, try to keep the fire out of the, the field. Um, my mother took us to take Hershey bars, which melted, and I and I, it was like, do I say the colored men's skin was dripping from the heat? Do I say the black men's? I surely don't say African American because that wasn't a word. So I worked hard and had some thoughtful input to make sure that the words colored, black, African American were used in the historical context of that piece of writing. Mm -hmm. But that in itself was another example of antenna being better 
refined. Uh, it sounds as if you have learned a great deal about the unconscious bias that exists in our community. Uh, yes, and and I would say the first, you know, I was very lucky in that I was in leadership Atlanta. And if you're familiar with that, you spend a day doing race. And the course of that, everybody had to admit that they carried prejudice, which is a really sort of hard thing. But a couple of years later, I got into a brouhaha with someone who was also a Leadership Atlanta alum because I had used the word black, and this person thought I should be saying African-American. And I went to see a friend who happened to be Jean Young, Andy Young's wife, who was one of the extraordinary unsung Heroines of our city, indeed, yes. Yes, of our, of the movement also. And this is true. And I said, you know, what am I, I, I don't, when, when should I use which word? And she leaned back, and, and if you're lucky to have been around her, you know she had a quality that was calming and, and thoughtful. She said, you know, I actually like black, she said, because it connects me to people with skin color like mine all the way around the world. She said, but we're just all trying to figure out what to do. So, yes, I have been blessed and lucky. Uh, I have also um, been lucky in the village that I continue to be a part of. And I firmly believe there's nothing I've ever accomplished that was not part, in, in large part, because of the village. What would you share with us from memory and complicity? I know I asked you to pick out something that you could yeah. you could share um, with the how audience. Much, how much, <laughs> how short or how long? Um, I mean, I can do a little short one-minute piece that sort of describes the, the times. I can do... Yeah, let's do that. That'll be good. Uh, and it is, it's the first poem in the book. Okay. It's, and it's called Sign of the Times. My mother canning green beans and beets. My brother and I forbidden to walk past the stove. The pressure cooker might explode. White flight and seg academies for white parents who refuse to send their children to integrated schools. A cousin buying what he believed to be a Cherokee-made treasure at the Cherokee Reservation in North Carolina. When he got home, he found made in Japan, stamped on the bottom. The doomsday nuclear clock ticking down on the cover of the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. My mother and grandfather disagreeing vehemently about nuclear power. He imagined nuclear medicine. She imagined the bomb. Black-faced yard jockeys in other people's front yards. Eve Hoffman, what are you hoping that readers take away from your experience, the narrative that you share, the stories that you tell in this series of poems, Memory and Complicity? Well, the first thing is I hope it will break down the prejudice against poetry. <laughs> <laughs> when you say poetry, people's eyes glaze over. Because um, that I didn't, what you shared with us, though it is a poem, didn't sound like what Roses are red, violets are blue. Are those damn uh, uh, Shakespeare sonnets we had to memorize <laughs> in ninth grade? 
exactly. <laughs> so poetry now comes in, in, in much more narrative storytelling forms. And there can be very short pieces. Some of mine become much longer. Um, I hope that people will come away with more attention to their own way that they can help heal, heal a broken world. Um, we are in a time when I, I can't speak for everybody, but certainly the people in my village are terrified, are anxious, are frightened as to what happens to our beloved America. And I have to be reminded that every day there are men and women that go to the border and protect children or that go to the jail and try and help a single mother or who simply put their hand as a teacher on a child's shoulder and that child feels safe for this that instant or if that child is already feeling safe feels wow so um, the power of the arts power of the poetry is is not to be judgmental, although I think my writing probably is, but rather to open the door for people to think about, for open the door to say, let's, let's talk about some of these things. Why did they happen? Why did we not happen? Why does history tell us we need to be attentive that they not happen again? Um, now, that's a, a sort of ideal. Uh, I hope people will take away from it that it's a good gift to buy for people. <laughs> um, one of the hardest parts for me is um, I love the writing, I love the research, but the marketing is definitely, I love talking to Candace, but this whole marketing thing does not compute with the joy of just, um, I'll give you a quick example. Someone sent me an email yesterday that said they were part of NOW, the National, Organiz National Organization for Women in the 60s. I write in here about riches a little bit and the, because my family connection. I'd forgotten that there was a men's grill in the basement. And oh. Only women, uh, women, I think, maybe could go in at 4 o'clock or something in the afternoon. This woman wrote me and she said, I was part of now and we did a sit-in in the w men's grill on the bottom of riches in the 60s. <laughs> there. You know, it's like, okay. There's another example of a story and another example of people who have stepped out a little. Memories. And in that example, no complicity because they staged a sit-in. <laughs> this is a delightful read, and it is very different. And I love how you share, Eve, that you hope that memory and complicity takes away the perceived stigma that is associated with poetry because that is not what this is, but this is indeed quite special. And thank you for this, which I will, I will have you sign this one for me and I will gift my other copy to uh, someone else. But uh, good luck this weekend at the festival. I look forward to it. And, and thank you. Thank you and congratulations on your enlarged portfolio. Thanks so much. <laughs> yes, serving now as the Director of Community Affairs for this radio station, Channel 2 and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Eve Hoffman, nice spending time with you. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. 
tweet me, MyAndalusCondo29, on Twitter, or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.